Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, where we equip men and women to be faithful in every aspect of life. This week, you will hear the Babylon Bee's very own Ethan Nicole read his debut children's novel, Brave Ollie Possum. Get Brave Ollie Possum with hundreds of illustrations from canonpress.com. And if you'd like to continue listening to Ethan read it, download the Canon app today, subscribe, and enjoy. Chapter 1. A Tiny Bed There's nothing to be afraid of. You're too old for this, Ollie Maccarelli told himself, huddled beneath a pile of teddy bears. He was too old for teddy bears. Too old to be lying awake, scared of monsters in his bed. His parents were asleep just down the hall. All he wanted was to run into their room, shouting, Monster! But he was too old for that, too. No self-respecting, almost ten-year-old would do something so embarrassing. He promised himself he would not scream. So far, he was keeping his promise. But the longer he lay there staring at the ceiling, all covered in popcorn and shadows, the more the darkness seemed like something much more awful than a mere absence of light. It felt like a living thing, large and hungry, surrounding him, trying to swallow him up. His ears rang and his eyes twitched as little night noises sounded from the woods behind his house and interrupted the unsettling silence, scratching, chirping, the whistle of the wind. Then something louder. The sound came from the roof. It was loud, heavy, horrible, and, he assured himself, nothing to fear. Regardless, the desire to scramble into the bedroom of his snoozing parents and scream, There's a monster on the roof! grew more fierce. But he knew what they would tell him. They'd say it was probably a raccoon, and that he should get back to sleep. What kind of raccoon makes sounds like that? Ollie whispered to himself. It sounded like a mutant raccoon, whose DNA was spliced with a 500-pound wrestler's, and who was now doing atomic elbow drops on the roof. But Ollie knew what it really was. It was the same monster who had been peeking in his bedroom window every night for the last week, fogging up the glass with its giant, snot-bubbling nostrils. The creature... Ollie's mother would say, was a product of his imagination. His fear of this new town, all the changes, were turning into vivid hallucinations. So Ollie decided he would force himself to believe it must be a raccoon. A raccoon that his mind was turning into a monster. He would not allow himself any further debate. It was an absurdly massive raccoon, all fat from eating tossed-out spaghetti. The Maccarellis had more tossed-out spaghetti than most people do, because on the ground floor of their house was the family business, an Italian restaurant. Ollie's dad always made enough spaghetti to feed the number of customers he hoped would show up, rather than the few who actually did. There it was again. It was right outside this time. The incredibly fat, very strong raccoon wrestler was on the ledge, a thin pane of glass and a few spiderwebs were the only things separating Ollie from the nasty, crooked-toothed, man-eating, harmless raccoon. He could see its big, veiny ears, twitchy, glistening nostrils, tiny white eyes, and jagged teeth, 
like pieces of a shattered dinner plate dripping with steaming slobber. That is, he could have seen those things if he hadn't had his eyelids pressed shut so hard they could crack a walnut. He reminded himself again that it was just a raccoon, saying it over and over, until the word raccoon sounded like a silly made-up word, like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. Ollie took a deep breath, and just to prove to himself there was nothing there, opened his eyes. It was staring right at him. Ollie choked, then belted out a scream so loud that locals would recall the noise as evidence for the existence of Bigfoot. The monster left a foggy blot where the nostrils had exhaled. It was gone. That was not a raccoon. Mr. Macarelli had been startled so badly by the shriek that he kicked out of his sleep like a mule getting tased, cracking the tiny bed's headboard with his head and the footboard with his foot. On the other side of the bed, Ollie's mother ripped off her eye cover and rushed into the boy's room like an emergency room nurse. She held him, squeezed him, and sang him an Italian hymn. Then she fed him warm milk with honey, prayed with him, and tucked him in with too many teddy bears to count as if stuffed beasts with soulless button eyes could make him feel any less alone. But Ollie continued to tremble and cry for her when she left the room. He went on and on. Lying in their bedroom, Mr. Macarelli groaned. He's too old. Please, he'll be ten soon. When I was ten, I was slaughtering pigs for my papa. Ollie's not you, and you are not your father. Mrs. Macarelli said in a warm but firm tone. She began to get out of bed. Please, just let him brave it out for once, the man said. His wife was already walking out of the room. She tugged the boy out of his pile of bears and took him back down the hall, letting him squeeze into the ridiculously tiny bed, sandwiched between his mom and dad. Ollie's cold feet made Mr. Macarelli jolt a second time. He toppled out of bed and hit the floor like a sack of onions, nearly smashing Willoughby in the process. Willoughby was a very loyal and manly golden retriever. At least that's what Ollie thought. He knew it might be odd to call a dog manly, but he also knew it was true enough that a man could be dogly. Ollie's dad, the man on the floor, acted very dogly as he barked angry words at his son and wife. A nocturnal argument ensued between the two parents about what was good for a boy. Why can't he get over it? Why don't we get him to a doctor? Why can't we get a bigger bed? Why can't we have nice things? Why are we always fighting? Why did we ever move to this ridiculously tiny town in the woods? The questions carried on until all topics and parents available had been exhausted. Eyes open, Ollie lay smushed between his two parental pillars as they each began to snore their distinct and familiar snores. He was silently asking God at what point a kid becomes brave. He was tired of being afraid. Why are some children more scared than others? He wanted so badly to believe his parents were right when they said there was nothing to be afraid of. But repeating this to himself never helped. Like the word raccoon, the more he said it, the sillier it sounded. Nothing to be afraid of? Nothing? Was he making this all up on purpose? What if there was something to be afraid of? What if they were wrong? 
His thoughts were interrupted by the sound of more scratching on the roof. Ollie pressed into his mother and father, his eyes pried open by fear. Chapter 2 A Crooked Card As the groggy chef clumped down the stairs to start another wary day of pasta making, Ollie sat on the edge of the bed and ran his fingers through Willoughby's golden fur. He wondered why he had allowed himself to make another night miserable for his parents. Willoughby rested his chin on the boy. The tender-hearted dog was the only member of the family who didn't seem concerned with trying to change him. Ollie wanted to do something today that would make his papa proud. He didn't know how to overcome his fears, but he had one thing up his sleeve that might impress the man. He had perfected his own special lasagna recipe. Despite the chef not taking the time to teach him, Ollie had watched the lasagna process countless times, studied the recipes, and snuck into the kitchen in the evenings to practice. Today he would show his dad what he could do. He hurried down the stairs to begin preparations, but his mother stopped him. Son, if you want to get your father's attention, do not cook lasagna for breakfast, she advised. Who eats lasagna for breakfast? Make it later, after he is tired and the day is near its end. If you try to get his attention at the wrong time, it could only make things worse. She patted him on the head and smiled. Ollie's mother had mastered the art of dancing around his moody father like a gold medal figure skater. So Ollie waited. The clock, a wood carving of an obnoxiously jolly chef, ticked and talked, its dimples getting more annoying with every shift of its plastic eyes. He waited through morning prep, lunch rush, which was not much of a rush at all, and dinner, also not a huge turnout. Ollie watched his dad go without a single break from six in the morning to seven at night, working as if every move he made was the last pull of an oar that would keep his ship afloat. Finally, Mrs. Macarelli gave her son the nod. He stepped into the kitchen, where Mr. Macarelli was chopping onions, and began quietly working. What's this? Mr. Macarelli asked abruptly. Ollie winced. His mother spoke for him. Just a little project, don't worry. He'll stay out of your way. Dear, if we have another customer, then he'll get out of your way. She put her hand on the man. He sighed and continued dicing. Ollie took a deep breath. The restaurant was empty. They would close at nine. Only half an hour left and he was home free. He had just finished making the noodles from scratch, garnering lots of praise from his mother, though still not a comment from his dad when he heard. He nearly spilled marinara everywhere. Willoughby jumped to his paws and barked at top volume. Mr. Macarelli shushed the dog and looked toward the sound, two stories up, but loud enough to shake the ceiling. He was about to comment when suddenly there came another sound. It was the bell on the entryway door in the dining room. Mr. Macarelli's eyes lit up. A customer! Quiet down, Willoughby! Don't scare them off! Ollie's heart sank. They never had customers this late. Why, tonight of all nights, did one need to come in now and ruin everything? Clear this away. I will need room to cook, the chef said, 
waving his hands at Ollie's work without giving it a glance. There was more joy in his voice than Ollie had heard all day. The boy slowly pulled out the garbage can on wheels, preparing to toss the whole thing into the trash. A lump formed in his throat. Then Willoughby went into another flurry of wild barks and darted right into the dining room, abandoning his designated doggy corner and every rule in the doggy rule book. Mr. Macarelli chased after him, shouting. As they ran into the dining room, the door opened. The last-minute customer barely fit through the doorway. She looked like an ogre stuffed inside the skin of an old obese woman, clad in bright polyester. Her skinny arms stuck out of her bulbous body like sticks in a snowman. She wore pointy sunglasses and had big, shriveled red lips. Her face dripped with thick white paint, and a tall pink beehive wig sat perched on her head. She seated herself at a two-person table, right next to an impressionistic painting of a meatball ascending to heaven. The chair nearly disappeared beneath her rhino-sized rump. Willoughby charged at her, barking like he smelled a rat. Willoughby, you know better, Mr. Macarelli shouted. The usually obedient dog winced back with a look of guilt. He was directed back into the kitchen by an angry, outstretched finger. Ollie, startled by the dog's outburst, sat and stroked his fur. Willoughby growled in a low rumble, as if keeping quiet was impossible. Mr. Macarelli promptly came to the patron's table, with his chef's hat fluffed and handlebar mustache waxed and curled to perfection. He handed her a menu and spoke with desperate hospitality. Welcome to Macarelli's. We are pleased to serve you. Today's special is the garlic, bacon, and sixteen cheese lasagna. He lifted a pen and a pad of paper. May I start you with something to drink? She exhaled. It suddenly smelled as if someone had opened a jar of dead flies. Mr. Macarelli's mustache twitched, but his smile remained locked in place. The guest rubbed her greasy chin as she studied the menu. Her sweaty clown face looked like it was melting off. She had caked on enough makeup to sauce a pizza. Mr. Macarelli noticed white drops landing on the carpet. He gritted his teeth, hoping it wouldn't be too hard to clean. She wiped her hand on her blouse, then turned the page. Finally, she spoke in a squeaky, raspy voice. Not a lot of customers for a Friday. The man nodded. She continued. You must really struggle, Wuggle. He raised an eyebrow. The woman spoke as unnaturally as she looked. Yes, it, it has been hard, he said. His pen remained poised. It had been harder than he had time or desire to explain. That just breaks my little, little heart. Such yummy, yummy foodies, too. She spoke with the inflection one might use to comfort a baby. The result was not comforting. So, uh, just water to drink? He asked. It seemed the longer he stood there, the more he could feel her bad breath, settling on him like a rotten mist. It must be even harder she said, with that little boy of yours. She peered at the chef over the rims of her pointed shades, 
revealing pale, yellow eyes. Mr. Macarelli stepped back. You have heard my son's cries. I, I apologize, he said in a quiet voice. He is a troubled boy. He finally lowered the pen. The curls of his mustache seemed to lose some of their spring. He could no longer hold a smile. No, no. We were all cuddling wordless once. Nightmares and boogie-woogie men. Vivid little imaginations scaring the heebies and the jeebies out of us. Living out here by the big dark woodsies where people go out and get lost and never found it. I know they scared me when I was a little kiddy, she said, laughing with a strained authenticity. It was as if speaking of herself as a child secretly caused her pain. The chef rubbed the back of his neck. No, not like my son. I have never seen a child so overcome with fear. Ever since we moved here, all day and night he screams and cries. And it only gets worse. We are known better by his nightly screams than my signature dish. She reached out a long-fingered hand and touched his arm. Well, the little kitty can't go on like that. He'll destroy you, the miserable thing. It must break your heart. She was laying on the baby talk thicker as she spoke. You look so sleepy, weepy. I bet you get so tired that sometimes you fall asleep right in the lasagna. No thanks to little, uh, what was the boy's name? She leaned in to hear the answer. Ollie. His name is Ollie, Mr. Macarelli said quietly, backing out of the conversation with a blank stare and a nod. I will get you a water. He turned away, now more uncomfortable with how correct she was than how bad she smelled. His son was miserable, and it did break his heart. It was true. He had fallen asleep in the lasagna a few times. He returned to the kitchen. Ollie, instead of putting everything away, had resolved to get his project done as quickly as possible. As the chef walked past, Ollie winced, expecting to be told to get out. But instead, Mr. Macarelli leaned against the counter, took a few deep breaths and fidgeted with the ends of his mustache. He looked deep in thought. Is there anything I can do to help, Papa? Ollie asked. Mr. Macarelli looked at the boy for a moment before answering. Then he poured water into a glass and handed it to him. Bring the customer this glass of water, please. Be polite. Yes, Papa. Ollie pushed the swinging door open with the glass in hand. Due to Willoughby's reaction to the guest, he felt fear swelling in him as he pushed through. But the boy only found an empty chair. Papa? He called out. There's no one here. Upon seeing the empty table, Mr. Macarelli put his head in his hands, calling out to no one. No, don't leave. Please stay. Eat. I will throw in a free cannoli. The chef slumped over onto the table, all the fight out of him. Another lost customer. Another day most of the food he'd prepared would be thrown out. Another day closer to closing down. Then he saw sitting on the abandoned table, a crooked paper card. It read, Fear-filled child, call 
Mich Weichel Beichel. Professional Anti-Scary Therapy and Comfortology. PhD in Cheer and Fear Reduction. Good sleepies and warm fuzzies. Free consultations. Call 899 and whatever numbers come to mind. Mr. Macarelli saw a trail of melted makeup drops leading out the door. He followed the path of white spots outside. They ended just beyond the entrance, not even reaching the parking lot. It was as if the enormous woman had lifted off into the night sky. Chapter 3 Thirteen Steps in the Dark Ollie had caught a lucky break. Thanks to his father's misfortune of losing the last customer of the night, he could finish his lasagna. He had rolled the noodles, mixed the sauce, shredded the cheese, and sautéed the meat. The boy set his assembled lasagna on the counter, putting it on display, but trying not to act too proud of himself. He sprinkled a bit of parsley on top of the creamy layer of flavor-infused cheese. It looked so cushiony and perfect that, if it were a bed, he could sleep in it for days. Three customers all day, unless you count the lady who left before she even got water, muttered the chef. Didn't Kessler come in today? Mrs. Macabrelli asked. He comes in at 11.30 every day without fail. Kessler hasn't been in for three days. Another deserter, just like the others. Mr. Macarelli grumbled, tugging at his mustache. They're all deserters. You can't depend on any of them. Your food is good, darling. People just have to find it, she said with a hand on his shoulder. Word will get out. Word doesn't get out in the middle of nowhere. Mrs. Macarelli flinched at the words. Moose Point was as remote as a town can get. There wasn't an Italian restaurant for miles. They had moved there to escape the threat of larger competition, but now it seemed they had become imprisoned in a lonely mountain village whose inhabitants rarely ate a dish that was not grilled or deep-fried, preferably on a stick. Ollie has something that will cheer you up, don't you, baby? said Mrs. Macarelli, hovering over Ollie, who was sprinkling Parmesan cheese across the pan like fresh snow. He made a pan of lasagna from scratch, all by himself. It's his own recipe. You should be so proud of this kid. He's a real chef. His own recipe? Mr. Macarelli seemed impressed for a brief moment. But concern quickly outweighed his approval. That's great, but we don't have enough Parmesan to be playing around. The next shipment doesn't come in until Thursday. It's mostly aioli and slow-roasted garlic, Ollie said. I only use enough Parmesan to get the right amount of firmness. Ollie watched his father's gaze. A creamy garlic lasagna, the man asked. He looked intrigued, but his eyes soon wandered, staring past his family as if they could see a stampede of problems coming at him from some invisible realm. That aioli is expensive. Dear, Aldi was talking about how you two used to have picnics in the cove, said the woman. It's been so long since you've done that. Wouldn't it be nice to go on a picnic again sometime? Mr. Macarelli nodded. It was a half nod, a tilt of the head, a maybe, which always meant no. He reached for another crate of onions and a knife. Let's get going on cleanup and prep while it bakes. The chef grabbed the lasagna and tossed it into the oven. Then, after a breath, the chef said, Ollie, be a helper and take out that trash, please. 
There was a moment of shocked silence. Dear, you know Ollie is afraid of going out there at night, Mrs. Macarelli said. Her husband chopped an onion and pretended not to hear. Ollie looked at his mom, then at the garbage. His heart pounded. Mrs. Macarelli got down on one knee and said, Bambino, you don't have to do this if it scares you. I think you are so brave whether or not you go out there. Ollie stared at the back door that led to the dark alleyway full of dumpsters. He wanted so badly to show his father he could do this one simple thing. Ugh, stop patronizing the kid. He's not scared, Mr. Macarelli said, chopping harder. I'll go, said Ollie. He lifted the garbage bag and walked toward the door. He carefully pushed it open, trying to act as calm and confident as he could. When he stepped outside, both parents and the dog were watching. The door closed behind him. Darkness closed around him. The dumpster was exactly six and a half steps from the kitchen door. He counted them obsessively every time he went out there, which was always during daylight hours. Four steps down the stairs, two and a half across the alley, then back. He could maybe even make it back to the door in four if he sprinted and jumped up the staircase. He took a few deep breaths and then went down the first of the stairs. He paused at the bottom of the steps. He thought he heard something move in the trash cans to his left. His heart was instantly beating at double speed. He walked faster. At step six, he was right in front of the dumpster. He heard something move again. Probably a raccoon. A nasty, vicious raccoon. What if it's something worse? What if it's a coyote or, or a goblin? What if... Ollie froze. Right on the dumpster, dangling from the open lid. Black and leathery, hairy and robotic. Eight hideous legs and who knows how many eyes. A spider. Ollie couldn't stand spiders. The thing twitched and Ollie lost it. The bag fell to the ground as the boy's scream rang out. Whatever had been moving around in the dumpster skittered away. Ollie backtracked in less than two seconds and was pounding on the door. It would not open. His dad was holding it closed. Put the trash in the dumpster and you may come in. Mr. Macarelli clenched the latch. Ollie's scream raised to a banshee wail. I can't! There's a spider! Ollie bellowed. He stared into the peephole, which was dark and empty from this side, though he knew his father's eye was staring at him from the other side in disgust. Smash the spider, Mr. Macarelli shouted through the door. It's gonna bite me with poison and I'll die, Ollie cried. Not all spiders are deadly, Mr. Macarelli shouted back. Most of them are tiny and frightened little things. What on earth are you doing? Mrs. Macarelli shrieked. He's gotta face his fears, shouted the chef. But the boy's scream only got louder, inhumanly louder. Ollie couldn't hold it in. He shrieked so loud that Mr. Peanut, a block away, choked on a peanut. So loud that Mrs. Haberly, who lived four blocks away, spilled her pumpkin tea on her cat, Pumpkin. So siren-like that the neighborhood dogs started howling, and the firemen at the station three blocks away geared up and slid down their golden pole before they realized it was just that Macarelli boy again. Ollie's mom was the sweetest woman on earth 90% of the time. But when provoked, she could abruptly turn into a human grizzly bear. She lunged at her husband and yanked his hand off of the door so hard he nearly stumbled into the dough mixer as she shouted in a deep, baboonish growl, Let him in! The door flew open. 
Ollie's mother took him in her arms. He hid in her shirt, hiding his face from his father. Things are never going to change if he never faces his fears, Mr. Macarelli said, his onion-chopping knife raised like a baton. Ollie felt his mother tug on his arm, and though it made him feel even more cowardly, he went with her to the apartment upstairs. Willoughby followed. Though she assured the boy that his dad was just in another bad mood, Ollie couldn't help entertaining the thought that the bad moods were all his fault. Now alone, Mr. Macarelli put his hand on his forehead, clenched a fist, growled, chopped, stopped, grunted, paced, stopped again. After a deep breath, he marched over and shouted up the stairs, Keep him out of my kitchen! I don't want cowards in my kitchen! The door to the apartment slammed. He needs to grow up! He shouted at the closed door. Mr. Macarelli sighed hard as his hand cupped his forehead, then slid down his stubbled chin. Abruptly, he took out all his frustration on the onions, chopping them with machine gun speed. He created a fine pulp and then threw them away. He got out the crooked card and read it over. He stared into it for some time, thinking about the strange woman who left it. His first instinct was to stay as far away from her as possible and hope he never saw her or smelled her ever again. It was more than just her repulsiveness. It was something he felt in his gut. But now, here, he was entertaining the thought of calling her up. He turned the card in his fingers as he fidgeted with his mustache and stared at the wall, zoning out of reality, lost in his thoughts and worries once again. Suddenly the fire alarm was blaring. Black smoke was pouring out of the oven. Ollie's perfect pan of lasagna had transformed into a solid black square of charred cheese. Mr. Macarelli lifted the smoldering pan out with his pizza peel, opened the back door and flung it angrily into the alleyway. It was vermin food now. Chapter 4 Spiders in Your Mind Ollie lay in bed, defeated. The smell of burnt lasagna still lingered in the dark. He was praying he'd make it to morning without freaking out. Most of all, he prayed that the thing in the window would just go away and never come back. His door creaked. A slice of light pierced the entryway, then became warped by a towering, shadowed figure staring into the gleam of the open door. Mr. Macarelli entered and sat at the foot of Ollie's bed. He ran his fingers through his black, oily hair. For a while, he just sat there. I'm sorry, son, he finally managed. I hear myself saying these things. I see myself becoming this person. The man shook his head as he looked for more words. I get so worked up. The littlest things upset me. You know what I mean? Ollie nodded but was unsure. Was his dad here to chat? Or was he here to punish him further for the embarrassing display in the alley? Little things, I build them up. They all start to feel so big. The Parmesan. Listen to how worked up I get, just about running low on Parmesan. You'd think it was the last of its kind on earth. He shook his head again and chuckled a bit. None of these things are more important to me than you, son. But when I fill my head with all these worries, I act like they are. Do you forgive your papa? For overreacting? Ollie looked at his dad and cracked half a smile. 
Of course I forgive you, Papa. I'm sorry, too. He was sorry for so much. Night after night, he kept his parents up, screaming about two-headed monsters and strange noises in the forest. He was sorry for all of it, but for reasons he couldn't understand, he wasn't quite ready to apologize for it all out loud. It felt like if he admitted to all the trouble he had caused, it made it real, and then he would have to feel the weight of just how bad things had really gotten. I'm sorry I freaked out about that spider, he decided to say. Mr. Macarelli scooted toward Ollie and extended his arms, cupping one baseball mitt-sized hand over the back of the boy's head and pulling him into his chest. His white chef's coat still smelled like basil, garlic, tomato sauce, onions, and sweat. Ollie leaned into the man's embrace. He said, I guess you'd do it too. You build up that little spider in your mind, a creature you could crush with your tiniest toe. But your mind makes it a million times scarier than it is. Ollie didn't respond. Despite his father's words making rational sense, everything scary still felt big to Ollie. He didn't feel like he was building anything up. He always felt small around anything scary, even around spiders. You know what helps me when something scares me? I make a joke about it, the man thought for a moment. Why did the spider save up so much money? He asked. Ollie looked at his dad and shrugged. So he could afford shoes, <laughs> Mr. Macarelli said with as much enthusiasm as he could muster for such a bad joke. See, because they have eight feet and <laughs> that's a lot of shoes, <laughs> he explained. Ollie cracked a slight smile and rolled his eyes. Wow, he said. Hey, that wasn't bad for off the cuff, Ollie's dad said. Ollie let out a chuckle that was aimed more at his dad than at his dad's joke. He leaned over and laid his head on his pillow. Mr. Macarelli tucked Ollie in and rubbed his head. He was quiet for a moment, then he said, Tomorrow morning, let's go to the cove, huh? Like your mom said, have a picnic, sound good? Ollie nodded and smiled. Sure, Papa. Ollie felt the bristly broom of his father's mustache brush his forehead, then the warmth of a goodnight kiss that turned cool as the man stepped away. Ollie closed his eyes, doing his best to hold on to the moment shared with his father. He wanted to get right to sleep so he could wake up to that picnic in the cove. To make it through the night asleep, no noises, no monsters, no turning little things into big things. He was praying he'd make it to morning without freaking out when he heard claws on the roof. It was back. He heard it land with a thud, the claws scraping, a tail dragging. Not a raccoon. No, no, go away, he begged. Ollie hid in the blankets, but he peeked out just long enough to see hot breath hit the window. Ollie froze. As the fog cleared, the face remained. It did not disappear in a flash this time. It stared at him, fogging up the glass again with its hideous snout, and he lost it. Needless to say, Ollie had another terrible night. Chapter 5. The Picnic The next morning, even though the chef had slept with two little feet digging into his ribs and had woken up many times, he had made good on his promise to take Ollie on a picnic. It was about eight o'clock when they walked into the forest just behind their house, Willoughby trotting in front. 
The forest had been one of Ollie's favorite things about the new house when they first arrived. But then one day, the sprinkler guy, Kermit Finley, was out working near it and had disappeared. Most said he was eaten by mountain lions. That was enough to scare Ollie away from going into the woods by himself ever again. A small path off the backyard led to a clearing where the sun shone into the trees and warmed the grass. This was the meadow where the family had had picnics when they first moved to Moose Point. Ollie breathed in the smell of pine and wildflowers. The scent brought him back to when there wasn't a scary thing about those woods. He looked up and saw what they had come to visit. Ollie's tree. Every child who grows up around trees picks one out for himself. Ollie's tree was a large, sturdy oak, older than the town itself. It had stood for centuries with powerful, moss-draped arms, outstretched and ready to hold him up, as if that had been their purpose all along. It was the first tree he had ever climbed. He used to spend so much time in his tree that, one day, his father showed up at the base of the trunk with a ladder, some wood, and a hammer and nails. He had built Ollie a chair right there on the limbs. Then he had added a board across the top limb, like a countertop, and more boards up the trunk of the tree to act as rungs of a ladder. Lastly, he had added a bucket tied to a rope so that Ollie could bring things up with ease. Sitting in that high-up chair had always made Ollie feel like royalty. He knew that day he had the greatest dad on earth. When's the last time you sat up there? Mr. Macarelli asked. Ollie shrugged. It had been the early days of the restaurant. Mr. Macarelli would bring samples from the new menu out to his son to taste, asking for his honest opinion. The man had always worked under other chefs. This was his first time writing the menu himself, and he took great pride in it. Ollie felt so honored by this that he never had a bite that did not taste perfect. Ollie climbed. It felt familiar, like the embrace of a close relative you haven't seen in years. Mr. Macarelli opened a basket he had brought along. In it were two toasted croissants with fried egg, smoked gouda, and Italian sausage made from his own recipe which included chunks of bacon, and some garlic mayo that was Mrs. Macarelli's specialty. For drinks, he had a thermos of coffee with heavy whipping cream, and Ollie had a small thermos of homemade chocolate milk, using milk from their neighbor Goose McKinley's cow, and chocolate syrup imported from Italy. Mrs. Macarelli had tossed in some blueberries for nutrition, or as she would say, to help with the BMs. The restaurant always opened at 10 a.m. There was still prep to be done, but Mrs. Macarelli was handling things. They had two hours to picnic and maybe even go for a little walk. Ollie's father placed the food basket into the bucket, and the boy pulled the rope, raising the contents up to his treetop table. Mr. Macarelli climbed up after and joined Ollie, sitting next to him on the sturdy limb. Willoughby ran around below, sniffing and doing things dogs do when allowed to roam. It's too bad you don't come out here more, said Mr. Macarelli. To have this as my backyard would have been a thing of my dreams as a child. It was rare enough to see a tree in the city, but here every kid has his own. I have a whole plot of them. If the restaurant wasn't so all-consuming, I'd say we should go camping. Mr. Macarelli unwrapped the sandwiches and dug in. With garlic mayo on the side of his mouth, he said, Mmm, I usually don't get time to eat in the morning, but there's no better breakfast than this. Maybe I need to work on a breakfast menu. As they sat and ate, a man came running into the meadow. He was a little man with little legs, 
wearing all green. His feet skittered across the meadow like a ladybug across a leaf. Mr. Macarelli! Mr. Macarelli! The man called out. Mr. Arbach? said Mr. Macarelli. Mr. Arbach worked for the Forestry Service. He was an intelligent man who knew all the trees and animals in the area by name, both common and Latin, and could recite a book's worth of facts about each. Mr. Arbach looked at them sitting in the tree. The university just sent in a team of researchers to study the bear population decline, he announced. All he had heard his parents talking about how every grizzly bear on Moose Mountain, an estimated 200, had mysteriously disappeared around the time that the Macarellis had moved to town. Nobody really knew where they had gone, but he had always figured 200 less bears was 200 less opportunities to get eaten. They're just arriving in town. They have lots of money. They're hungry, and they like fancy meals, said Arbach, pointing at Ollie's dad with a wink. And if they like what they taste, there's a good chance they'll return with even more colleagues. And I see, said Mr. Macarelli. The chef had an intense look in his face as he shoved the rest of the sandwich into his mouth, a bit of egg dangling from his mustache as he chewed. Through the mouthful, he asked, Coming right now, you say? They're here, said the tiny man. Perhaps you could open a little early? <laughs> Otherwise, you'll have to take them over to Gussie's. <laughs> Mr. Macarelli put a hand on Ollie. Son, I have to do this. This could be a very big deal. Are you sure it's not one of those... Little deals you're making into a big deal? Ollie asked. Son, trust me. The restaurant needs business like this. I can't pass this up. I, I can come help, Ollie said. No, no, you're not ready for this. You'll only be in the way. Please, enjoy your sandwich and your chocolate milk. Enjoy the scenery. Sit out here and watch the birds and the squirrels. Be a normal boy. But I'm scared to be alone. No, 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 you're not alone. You can see the house from here. We can hear you call out. Willoughby will protect you. There is nothing to be afraid of. Mr. Macarelli scrambled down the tree and ran across the meadow back toward the restaurant. Ollie sat and ate his sandwich as he watched Mr. Arbach chase after the long-legged noodle maker. The ranger waddled like a dachshund, with nubby legs moving so fast they were a blur, but the rest of him not moving at all. Ollie felt good enough about the morning. Though they lived under the same roof, he had really missed his dad. The joy of the moment came with a catch, though. It made Ollie realize just how lonely he had felt since moving to Moose Point. He had not done a good job of making friends, and his parents were always so busy, he spent a lot of time alone. Ollie thought maybe if he had friends, he wouldn't be so scared. Maybe his dad would think he was becoming normal. But making friends in a new town is scary enough in itself. Ollie found himself getting lost in his own head, thinking of all the things that made him wary. And the more they piled up in his mind, the more he just wanted to curl up and lay still rather than keep trying to impress his father. Ollie heard a branch shift above him. He couldn't shake the feeling that something was watching him. The air turned cold. Slowly, the boy turned his head to peer into the shadows of the leaves overhead. That is when he saw it. Chapter 6. Minestrone The pig-nosed monster from Ollie's nightmares perched above him, its claws sunk into one of the oak's limbs. If this was his imagination, it had become more real than life itself. He could see the whole beast this time, from head to foot, 
bat wings, a scorpion tail, and when it moved to look at him, he realized it had not one, but two heads. Both let loose with a booming roar that nearly knocked Ollie to the ground, shaking leaves loose and rattling the branches. He jumped out of the tree and ran back toward the house, screaming like a siren. Mr. Macarelli was walking confidently up to the table of honored guests with a big kettle of steaming minestrone soup. He was known for this soup. The recipe had been passed down for generations. Though good enough for a meal, this was just the first course. The chef's famous 16-cheese lasagna was baking. A big tray of golden bruschetta was set to come next. A grand tortano, packed full of prosciutto, and meticulously selected olives would come out after that along with two homemade varieties of focaccia bread with various dipping oils. Then baked rigatoni with lots of sausage, a meatball the size of a basketball, and an eggplant parmesan. If all had gone as planned, the meal would have concluded with tiramisu and freshly ground Italian espresso. But that is not how it ended. It was at that moment that Ollie exploded into the restaurant screaming in terror. He clung to his father's legs like a spring-loaded koala bear. His dad instantly lost his balance and in one disastrous motion spilled the whole kettle of hot soup on the screaming scientists. They ran out of the restaurant like chickens from a fryer with burned laps and ruined khakis. Well, Mr. Arbach said, I suppose they won't be coming back. And just like that, the restaurant was empty, with lots of food cooking and nobody to eat it. Mr. Macarelli said nothing. He didn't even look at Ollie as the boy repeatedly gasped. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. The man quietly and methodically cleaned up the mess. When Mr. Macarelli was mad, he was loud. When he was really mad, he was really loud. But when Mr. Macarelli was absolutely furious, he was silent. Ollie backed away slowly as if his father could explode any moment. Then he ran upstairs. Ollie hid under his parents' bed all day. Willoughby poked his head under the draped blanket to lick the boy's tears. Ollie ran his fingers through the dog's hair, thankful that there was one creature on this earth who accepted him, fears and all. By the sounds of his parents arguing, Ollie knew his dad had given the remainder of the large meal away then closed up shop. Ollie didn't know if he was closing for the day or if he'd closed for good. Ollie prayed it was not the latter. Later that evening, both parents barged into the bedroom and slammed the door. Ollie jolted awake. He had fallen asleep in his dark little cave beneath the box springs. Neither parent seemed to realize he was there. This has gone too far, his dad shouted. You aren't helping him with all your coddling and babying and oochie-goochie-gooing. He's never going to stop being a baby if you keep treating him like one. And it's no wonder he's so scared when his own father calls him a coward and always shouts at him, grumbling and growling like a wolf. He's more afraid of you than he is that imaginary monster of his. She shouted back. Ollie lay with the horrible thought that his parents, who had always loved each other dearly, were fighting because of him. His constant cowardliness had turned his dad against him, and his parents were turning on each other. He would do anything to make it stop. But what could he do? Mr. Macarelli put up his hands and declared, I quit. I'm closing the restaurant. We're moving away from this abysmal place. His wife cried, You promised we'd stick it out this time. I didn't know it would be like this. It's always like this. 
Mrs. Macarelli left the room, slamming the door behind her. Ollie put his face in his hands, closing the restaurant, all because of him. He could feel his heart thumping, his hands trembling. He felt dizzy. He didn't want to cry or scream, but he felt like he might black out if he held it in much longer. Mr. Macarelli went to the edge of the bed. He exhaled forcefully as his legs gave way, and he sat defeated. The box springs squeaked above Ollie's head. We're ruined. It's all ruined, he muttered under his breath. Willoughby gave him the sympathetic look dogs give masters who are in despair. Ollie was watching his father's foot tapping rapidly. Ollie's heart was beating just as fast. Ollie felt like they were about to explode, one in fear, the other in rage, ticking like time bombs. Then, Mr. Macarelli snatched the crooked card off the nightstand. He turned it a few times, then resolutely grabbed the phone with white knuckles. He dialed 899, then whatever numbers came to mind. He waited. Nothing happened. No ring, no recording, no operator, no dial tone. Holding a wedge of gorgonzola to his head would have gotten him the same results. He checked to see if the phone had come unplugged. Suddenly, Willoughby sat up and growled. Willoughby stared at the ceiling and went into a barking fit. The chef sat up with a jolt at the sound of a loud knock at the alley door below. Willoughby scrambled down the stairs in a flurry of barks. Willoughby, stop that, shouted the chef. Ollie listened. He could hear the dog being dragged into the pantry and shut inside. Willoughby's muffled barks and whines continued from inside as both parents approached the door, one from the restaurant kitchen and the other from upstairs. Curious, Ollie came out to the stairwell and hid, watching as his parents went to the door. Who would stop by this late? Ollie's mother said. Peering through the peephole, Mr. Macarelli called out, Ms. Fuzzlebuzzle? Who? his wife asked. He opened the door. Chapter 7 Ms. Fuzzlebuzzle From the cracked apartment door, Ollie peeked down the stairs to the alleyway entrance. The visitor stood under the flickering fluorescent porch light, which had just begun its nightly battle with darkness. This was Ollie's first glimpse of the mountainous woman with her pink beehive wig and nighttime sunglasses. From the top of the stairs, her flabby skin looked like painted pizza dough that crumpled and wrinkled as she smiled, revealing tar-stained teeth. Well, hello, Ollie heard her say in a patronizing, squishy-throated lisp that gave Ollie the creeps. Her breath turned to fog in the night air and knocked the Italian couple back a step. This must be mommykins. Mrs. Macarelli looked at her husband, puzzled and a little ill. Oh, perhaps Daddy Pooh didn't mention our little chat. I'm here to help bolly little Ollie said the huge, white-jowled woman. The mustache fuzz on her lips glistened, smeared in odd directions inside the thick coat of slopped-on clown makeup. She's an expert in helping scared children, Mr. Macarelli explained while gently patting his wife's arm. She can help, Ollie. Tell her about what you'll do, doctor. Mrs. Macarelli looked at her husband like he had lost his mind. 
You hired a doctor? When were you going to mention this? He chuckled nervously. Please, let's not be rude. Come upstairs to the living room, doctor. I'd like to hear what you have to offer. The lumbering lady blotted out the porch light as she entered the stairwell. The stairs creaked under her mass as if crying out in pain as a substantial figure climbed to the top floor. Ollie hid in his room and listened, with his door slightly ajar. He could hear the couch cushions losing years of worth of springiness as the woman's massive backside found a place to land. Please, call me Miss Fajobajo. She looked at Mrs. Macarelli, who sat in a rocker across from her. What is going on with Ollie, dearest, is very serious, serious. I have a lot of experience with frightened children. Lotsies, I am an expert, as your hubsy has told you, and my expert leave you. I know this is going to be very hard for your little earsies to earsies, mommykins. Little Ollie is only going to get worstest. Muchly, muchly worstest. How so? Mrs. Macarelli asked, trembling. Ollie tried to quiet his nervous breathing so he could hear every word. Let me guess. The boy has had more and more riveter sightings lately, yes? Perhaps he imagines a monster in his window. Head of a boar, tail of a scorpion, something crazy like that. <laughs> The woman's eyebrows raised behind her sunglasses, wrinkling her forehead, smushing white paint. How did you know that? Ollie's mom gasped. Ollie wondered the same thing. Ollie Polly has a rare condition called, uh, she thought for a moment, scaringitis. The parents gasped again. When scaringitis has gotten really serious, serious, little Ollie Diddle will see two heads on the beast. That is when you know you've reached your last chance. Two hedgies, then deadsies. Ollie covered his mouth. Both parents gasped. He saw that very thing just today, Mr. Macarelli said. They looked at the woman helplessly. Oh, then it has gotten very deadly bedly. You should be sending him with me right away. There is a very special place in the forest, a special go-away fun place where children like Ollie can be taken and all his fear will be gobbled up. He should be packing his baggy waggies right nowsies. She licked her lips rapidly. Her slobber was making her makeup run down her jowls. Leave? Right now? How long would he be gone? Ollie's mother asked. She rubbed the tips of her fingers against her temples. Ollie couldn't see his dad. Fuzzlebuzzle spoke slowly and calmly, though her relaxed smile eased no one. That depends how long it takes. Ollie Bolly is a pretty serious little case. I would not put a hard deadline on fixing his little scaremaker. I need to know how long we're talking here. A day, a week, a month? Mrs. Macarelli shuddered. Oh, don't you worry now, Miss Fuzzlebuzzle said as she raised her bony hand. In all my experience, not one scared child has ever returned home. Mrs. Macarelli looked shocked by Fuzzlebuzzle's choice of words. Mr. Macarelli cut in. But they do return home, of course, he clarified. Just not scared, right? Oh, yes, 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 of course, of course, <laughs> said the woman head nodding, chins flopping. Something like that. 
Her smile got even uglier. But Ollie needs me, said Mrs. Macarelli, nearly yelling. He'll be a wreck. I can't send him away for some indefinite period of time. I don't like it either, Mr. Macarelli said, placing one hand on his wife's back. But maybe a break from us is just what the boy needs. Ollie closed his eyes. His dad really did want to get rid of him. Listen carefully, said Ms. Fuzzlebuzzle, with her long, skinny finger in the air. Your son has seen a beastie with two heads. Two headsies, then deadsies. I'm telling you, as an expert, expert, mommykins, that little Ollie Tootle is desperately ready. There is only one last scare picture for his little mind to imagine, and that is to see a glorch. A glorch, they asked. Silence filled the air as mother, father, and hidden son all hung on her words. A glorch, said the woman. Do you know how I know he has never seen a glorch? The horrified parents shook their heads. Because when a child sees a glorch, he is gone forever. She said these words with such a hiss that Ollie almost fell over. The parents gasped. What is a glorch? they asked aloud as Ollie mouthed along with them. Oh, a glorch is a very rare creature of legend. Part witch, part goblin, part ogre. There's nothing more scary wary in all the wobbly world. Her strange babyish dialect seemed to fade into something darker and deeper. It comes from the darkness, finds the most fearful kidsies, then takes them away. Glorchies love nothing more than the taste of children soaked in their own terrified little tears. All screamy and horrified and paralyzed and... She had to stop talking. Her slobber had become so out of control that a St. Bernard would have said she'd crossed the line. She sucked the drool in and smiled at the stunned couple. Returning to her squeaky baby voice, she said, Entirely imagined, of course. This doesn't make sense, Mrs. Macarelli said, as she leaned back in her chair. I need time to think. Can you come back tomorrow? There is no time, no time. I am an expert, a child terror connoisseur. She paused. I mean, counselor. <laughs> I have studied all these things muchly, muchly, she urged. You want to fix the broken child, don't you? She is an expert, Mr. Macarelli said. It sounds like it's pretty serious. His distraught wife could not formulate a sentence. Finally, she said, I just can't imagine my little Ollie off all by himself. Her mouth hung open, but couldn't close on any more words. Mr. Macarelli could see that his wife was not going to budge. He was not pleased. Perhaps you should come back after we discuss this further, he said with an annoyed tone. He showed Ms. Fuzzlebuzzle the door. Her smile seemed even more forced as she descended the stairs. Very serious. This is very, very serious, <laughs> she kept saying, but getting no response. When they got to the bottom of the stairs, just when they were about to say goodbye to the woman, another sound broke the silence. The door to the apartment was creaking open. They looked up to see Ollie at the top of the stairs. I will go, he said. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the All of Christ for All of Life podcast. 
If you're enjoying listening to Ethan read his own book, you can find it on the Canon app today.